Welcome to episode 116 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? It was amazing, Chris. It was absolutely <laughs> amazing. You, you know what? I, I've got a game changer. You, I've been saving this little secret. And oh, really? I'm, I'm excited. I'm, yep. I'm excited. Yep. Yeah, go for I, it. I am upping our culinary game to new levels when we go <laughs> camping. I have a portable smoker now, and we're just going to smoke meat nonstop during the day <laughs> and then just gorge on brisket and ribs and whatever else uh, as we observe all night. So, so I'm excited. So pe pe people should know. That, that Mike and Shane and I, we do a lot of uh, camping and observing together, a lot. And, and, and I'm not much of a camp cook. And one of the first times we, we, were, we were doing this together, I, I, was, I was pouring hot water into a bag to rehydrate um, some food that I, that I brought prepackaged. And I looked over to Shane and I could see he had his Coleman grill going and, and it has one of those windbreaks on the front. And I could see he's, he's got some utensils going and, and I'm like, uh, you know, waiting for my bag of chili to rehydrate. And I say, what are you cooking Shane? And turns it around and he's poaching a salmon. <laughs> That's not a lie. That was actually people think maybe I'm making a joke. This is true. That we're right in the middle of nowhere and Shane's out there poaching a salmon. <laughs> I, I like to eat well, and uh, it's good. No, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think that's with, good. <laughs> with with all of the uh, the camping discomforts, uh, it's nice to have a good meal, you know. So um, I'm I'm excited for the smoker. We'll we'll see. I, I've smoked a couple times in the backyard now, and uh, I'll see if I can perfect the trade. And I, you know, the other side though of this is it requires electricity, so I'll, I'll need an electrified campsite, which sometimes we don't have those. So I guess it's dependent on that. Generator. No, don't <laughs> no, 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 no generator. <laughs> I'm sure too Mike noisy. Is, yeah. Mike yeah. is power to spare. I'm sure if you're, if you're smoking meat, he's going to be, you guys are going to be battling for, for a spot on the rack. Yep. Yep. More than likely. <laughs> what was it? He cooked out there once I went in and he made, he was making like this pasta dish and it was just like his, well, Mike, and I mean, you know, you're, you're an amateur cook. You, you can cook. Um, but Mike actually, he, he worked as a cook. Yeah. And he was a, yeah, he was a professional. Yeah. Yeah. He worked. Um, I think it was on, was it on Gabriel Island or Salt Spring Island or one of these islands anyway, uh, over on the West coast. And, uh, anyway, but, but I mean, he can, he can really cook like, you know, he would give me some recipes from time to time and I would, you know, whip something up for Rebecca. And it was always like, you know, like amazing food, just like how to, like even simple things like how to cook a steak properly. You think you know how to cook a steak? Mm, I never knew how to cook a steak. Mike kind of demoed that for me and kind of learned that from him. So, but, uh, but yeah, all while camping, how to make it, you think you had a good cup of coffee, like things, things that are simple, like people think making a good cup of coffee, making a good steak, just like a little bit of time and attention. We won't get into nope. cooking here now, but, uh, Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do a best, best food for, for, uh, for observing on. <laughs> I, I, I would totally be down for that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I do like to eat and, uh, it can be a little challenging when we go camping, but like you say, maybe for another episode. So, yeah. 
Yeah. How was your week, sir? It was good. Yeah, it was good. Uh, taking on some some more volunteer duties, as I was telling, can't uh, quite announce it yet, but uh, uh, taking on a, a large and an interesting project. Um, I get some some vacation time with with my current job. Um, sort of when when I had gone to that role, I had thought, uh, well, I'd actually get some some uh, vacation that I would actually use instead of saving up until until uh, you know the, the never never time. But anyway, so I uh, yeah, I've taken on another another project and working on my my own observing and uh, that sort of thing. Did you actually get out observing this week? Well, I, I did a lot of daytime observing. Um, you know, I tell you this this working from home during the pandemic. Um, I am taking taking full advantage of the solar observing, you know, while it's warm out, uh, you know, I yeah. didn't do it much over the winter, but just about every day that there's not cloud in the sky, um, just before I head down to work. So I work in the basement, uh, I put out the solar scope and, you know, the dog goes outside to use the, the bathroom. I'll take a quick look at the sun and then put the caps on the, the telescope and the eyepiece go work until, you know, 10, 10 30, come up, make a tea, have another quick look and then, you know, another quick look at lunch, another quick look in the afternoon and then after work. So I got about three days in of that. And then even this wow. morning, I, I had two, two quick looks at the sun. Uh, the solar scope is still outside on the patio. So I'll be observing it all day. Um, been, there's been a lot of activity on the sun. There's a, there's a real, real nice sunspot right now on the uh, kind of close to the Western limb. Um, fairly sizable, like anybody with a white light filter will be able to see it. Um, and then the prominence activity, um, I'm trying to think here, I think Friday was a little low, uh, but every other day there's been just prominences all over quite sizable, um, uh, different shapes, sizes, uh, all of that. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And then I did do one night, like work has just been really, really busy and it's yeah. going to be quite busy here for the next week or two. So yeah. it leaves me a little exhausted in the, in the evenings and, um, I haven't done too much nighttime stuff. However, uh, I did take out, which telescope did I take? I think I took out the little Borg, the, the mini 50. Okay. Uh, anyway, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I had a, a, I don't know, maybe a 10 or 15 minute session, just looking at Malat 111. Uh, up in Coma Berenices. And yeah. um, it was awesome. I, you know, those Malat objects are really, really good. I, I you they're, know, I think I need to put more focus on them. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are. They are. They're great for a small yeah, telescope. Yeah. And, um, you know, a small telescope with a wide field, you know, some of them anyway. And, you know, Coma Berenices is, uh, you know, kind of an interesting part of the sky. I think that often I overlook and I think others do sometimes too. Um, so anyway, it was just fun to go out, not like overextend myself, but you know, take in a, a quick view and then go to bed and nice. fight another day. How, how was your week? You, I think you were on vacation. Were you able to get out at all and do some well, observing? Yeah. So I end up like having, uh, and, and I think, I, I think I explained this to you before I, I used to be an Alpine ski racer and I've broken a lot of fingers and I, I for some reason, I seem to have, have refractured one. And, and so I spent most of the week icing my finger, <laughs> which oh, wow. may sound kind of ridiculous, but, uh, yeah, when you can't use your, your right hand. Uh, so I, I was off, which was good. Cause I probably would end up not being able to work cause I couldn't really type much. And, uh, yeah. So 
it it's better now as of today, ready to go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> but but yeah, I end up having this this stupid uh, this stupid finger problem. But uh, you know, uh, five days of ice, and uh, you know, it sort of turned it around. And yeah, but uh, but so I was feeling better, and I went to uh, to back my cart. So uh, actually, hadn't uh, hadn't taken my car out since last November or something like that because. Oh wow pandemic just been home and uh just sort of left it parked and uh nowhere to go and our numbers have been have been really high and then recently started coming down and so i thought oh i'm gonna go out i'm kind of looking for just a slightly uh different spot than than i have been using uh just because like somebody built a house there and not that they've said anything but you're like kind of observing like within a couple hundred meters and you know every time i go out there like the person's lights come on and that i'm like man i don't want to be you know, bugging this person or whatever. So anyway, just looking for a slightly different, different spot out there, like sort of another five minutes down the road kind of thing. Um, but just like before I went to, to back my car out, um, my wife said, you better check like your insurance and stuff. And sure enough. Yeah. I needed to, to do a renewal. I kind of thought I did anyway, but it was good, good reminder. Like I said, I hadn't, hadn't moved the car. So it wasn't really a big deal. And then, uh, it was one of those, uh, and I'm not going to get into all the intricacies of, of insurance and renewing it here, but, but I actually had to go over to like the insurance place. And so, well, I thought I could do it on the phone and I called them like, no, you have to go in, but you can't go to our place because our system's down today. You have to find another one. And so I spent, uh, I spent the better part of a, a day doing that. So there were the one good night I probably could have gone out. Uh, I didn't get out because, uh, of insurance, uh, and all that kind of business that I was roped into having to do uh, over over the next day, you know. So anyway, uh, you know, sort of a funny thing, you know, with the pandemic, it's like one of those things, kind of like, yeah, skip my mind, not driving my car, and you know, there we go. A few months go by, and uh, something you don't think of. Hmm. Well, now now you're ready, I guess. Yeah, yeah, ready now. I gotta get it in for some. Uh, some service and that sort of thing. Just, I think it, it had a recall on it for something or other. I don't think it's a major thing. So uh, oh, yeah. I think it's like the dashboard lights or something like that. So I uh, have to take it over and get it taken care of. Hey, how did your uh, presentation go on small telescopes on Friday? It was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. So yeah, I presented to the local Regina Astronomy Club. Um, there was about 20 people on the Zoom meeting, I think, some somewhere around there. Um, so I was hoping for a few more, but um, it was still a fun evening. Um, I think I talked for about 70 minutes or so. Mm. And um, yeah, you know, I, I went through sort of my history of telescope usage, uh, starting with some bigger aperture, you know, uh, the 8-inch and then the 12-inch uh, Dobsonium. Mm-hmm. And then how I slowly transitioned away from those to refractors, uh, you know, started with a 120 millimeter refractor, but I, I just seemed to be going smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, so I talked about some of the reasons why, uh, I've done that. Um, and then I talked about probably my, my most fatal mistake that I made with refractors early on, because when I owned the eight inch Dobsonian, uh, the sky watcher, mm-hmm. I also had an 80 millimeter William optics, Apple refractor. It was a oh, really nice refractor. Yeah. 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 Um, but I hated it. And, and so the biggest mistake that I made back then was that I tried to use it in the same way I used my eight inch Dobsonian, you know, looking mm-hmm. at galaxies and globular oh, yeah. clusters and not, not loving the views. And, yeah. you know, one of the kind of one of the takeaways I tried to leave with everybody for small telescope observing is, 
it's not, and this is actually the, almost a verbatim from the last slide is that a small telescope is not better or worse than a large telescope. It's just a different tool for the job. And yeah. you need to cater your observing for a small telescope. So, yeah. you know, if you're using it, don't try to look at galaxies because you're probably going to be unhappy. You know, it's not going to show them very well. And same with globulars. You need aperture to really resolve the details of those things. Yeah. But, you know, if you're looking at, say, double stars, you can cater a huge list of double stars for any aperture. Mm -hmm. um, you can also look at, you know, in my opinion, one of the best uses for, uh, small telescopes is, uh, big open clusters. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of those that you can look at. There's the stellar associations. Um, there's dark nebula, you know, that can be quite large too, um, that mm -hmm. small telescopes can excel at. So, um, you know, that was my main kind of takeaway, uh, or, you know, that I tried to leave with everybody. Um, then we had some interesting discussion at the end of it. Cause I, I shared, um, Oh gee, what is that guy's name? The guy that did the Herschel 400 with a 55 millimeter telescope from a light polluted sky. Oh, like Jay was that Feldman. Jay Reynolds, Reynolds, Reynolds Freeman? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, um, so anyway, you know, I just, I mentioned that not as like, a here's something you should do. It's just, it shows the capabilities of a small telescope. If you're persistent and, and you're, mm -hmm. you know, using some interesting observing techniques, one of his observing techniques was cupping his observing eye to protect uh, the dark adaptation. Yeah. Um, and then uh, after my presentation, we had questions and a, a short discussion and a, a couple of the participants mentioned using a patch on your non observing eye um, because you know, and this, this I've experienced, we've all experienced this many times when you're squinting or, you know, closing your non-observing eye uh, and you're doing this for a long period of time or over the course of the entire night, it starts to cause fatigue on your, like on your observing eye. It just, it's not comfortable. Mm -hmm. So putting the patch, um, on your non-observing eye allows you to keep that eye open, but it's, it's not distracted, you know, by seeing things, right? Like it obviously can't see anything with the patch on. And that, um, that really makes for a far more comfortable session, but I've, you know, uh, one of the, one of the participants uh, said like when he's comet hunting, he often uses that technique because it helps him see better or see more with his observing eye because of the comfort level. So I thought that was real interesting. Um, I, you know, I've, I've heard about the patch on the observing eye many times, but I might try the patch on the non observing eye just to see, you know, how the comfort level changes. So <laughs> here's my take on that it's is uh you know we should be doing this on talk like a pirate day um <laughs> or, or, or when we talk about stephen james amira's hidden treasures because he kind of has that theme going but uh honestly you know I, I just pretty much leave my other eye open and uh and just seem to be able to sort through and not take in that that view and i think you can kind of train yourself to do that um, I think you can for sure. Yeah. I, I've done that. Uh, and then I just give up pretty quickly because I get distracted with my, you know, my eye not looking through the telescope. So, yeah. but you're right. I'm sure, I'm sure you can uh, kind of work your, your way up or, or, you know, train your brain to only really focus on the one eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, what, what the mind and the brain can do. Sometimes the one thing that you'll hear is that people will like have like, uh, use, use a patch or, or different things to, to try to get like that one eye, like more dark adapted, um, or to keep it dark adapted or something like that. Um, 
but it's not actually how the, the visual system in the brain works. And so there, there's, there are some uh, myth conceptions or misconceptions in the astronomical community, it seems, about, about how the eye and the brain um, works. Because some people will say, well, you, you can even cover over one eye and then it will, it will help preserve dark adaptation and stuff like that. But that, that, that's not how uh, our sensory organs actually operate. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to get into all that. But, yeah, it's, you, you can. I think the best thing to do is, is just to relax. First of all, people, I don't know why people get so tense when they observe, but it just, just to relax and then, uh, you know, kind of focus your attention through that, through that one eye. So are you using a patch now? Are you, are you convinced? Am I going to, are you going to get a, get like a pirate hat and <laughs> maybe a sword as well? I'm not, you know, got to, got to complete the whole look, but uh, I don't have a patch, but I think I'll buy one. You know, they're, they're cheap, right? You can buy one for probably $5 um, and give it a try. Um I'm always interested in different observing techniques. Um, you know, last year I talked about uh, how my one uh, observing friend or acquaintance um, mentioned like the way to tease out the most detail on Mars is to start early in the night using a ridiculous amount of magnification. And you do that for an hour or two yeah. and you may not see a lot of detail and it may be frustrating, but he said, when you back off that magnification, then after a couple of hours, you'd be surprised at how much more detail you can see because your eye has been working and it's active. And mm. he said, try it and even just look at the full moon or at, at the moon naked eye. And he said, you'll see more detail. Mm -hmm. And he was right. I, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't go for the full, like two hours of extreme magnification, but I did do about 20 minutes to 30 minutes. And then when I looked at the moon this one night, I was pretty surprised at like, like the contrast between the dark and the lighter zones on the moon was just boom. Like it was there. I didn't really have to like let my eyes adjust or try to see it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm always curious to try different ways to observe that allow me to see um, more detail. And if a patch will do that, eh, why not? I'll give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think there is something to just playing around with it. Like just, just like paying attention to it. I think even we'll just, uh, just generate that. Um, yeah, just oh, I don't want to say it, but sometimes sometimes one of the things we deal with, uh, like in our study, is like observer bias. But this this is truly observer bias. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you just need to convince yourself that something is, uh, you know, giving you an advantage, and you know, the brain will believe it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but I think I think as well, just just the just the 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 messing around with this kind of stuff in in the field and and kind of being focused on on how you're seeing things and what you're seeing. Uh, in different ways. I think that definitely uh, will improve any, any observer's uh, visual acuity uh, under the night sky. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I think that that's good advice. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. I'm glad so, your last one. Good. Yeah. Or your, yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I started teaching my spring and summer astronomy class, the course four weeks. So that's, cool. uh, that's now underway. Um, had good comment. I had had the same comment in a few different ways from at least a few different uh, attendees to the to the class, and uh, and one was, and I'm sure you've you've found this challenge uh, as well. But I guess basically what they were saying is that uh, it can be challenging to learn the constellations uh, because they kind of they they move from night to night and from season to season. There was 
there was one person and they, uh, I think they had attended the class like, uh, like last summer when I taught it uh, over the summer or, or at another point in time. And then they were like, great, you know, I kind of, I got this all sorted out and you know, that's great. Some people do. And uh, they, they had sort of bought some of the books I recommended. And then when they went out in, uh, in the winter, they were okay. And then by spring now, everything had rotated around so much, it was kind of confusing. So um, one of the things they, they want me to focus on is, uh, is that sort of seasonal rotation of, of the constellations and just how challenging it can be to go out after, after a few months and kind of reorient yourself. But have you found that as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, but, but I kind of view it as like a, an interesting evolution of the sky, you know, to watch over a period of months. Um, and, and best example right now is boots, you know, it just, a, maybe three to four weeks ago, boots was like in, in the Eastern sky and it was kind of on its side. Yeah, And, you know, by summertime, this will become a real prominent thing in the West as the sun is setting and we're transitioning yeah. to darkness. Um, so, you know, from, from four weeks ago till the middle of summer, you can kind of watch boots transition across the whole sky. Yeah, And that's cool, but it can also be um, kind of disorienting, um, you know, especially if you get to know boots, let's just say, as, you know, it looks in the Western sky during summertime, it's kind of confusing to see where it is right now. Um, but I think one of the best ways to help overcome that, in my opinion, is just to use a planisphere. You know, you can you can dial in the planisphere for the time and date that you're observing, and then quickly show it up to, or put it up to the sky and and get you know get an orientation of where everything is. Yeah, and uh, then you're good to go. And and probably the other thing too is just you know try to go out once or twice a week, even if it's just to look at constellations in the sky. You know, and um, uh, it helps you. It, 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 you know, if you go out the first time and you're kind of confused and let's say you use the planisphere and you go, okay, there's boots and there's Virgo and blah, 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 blah. Um, the next time you go out, say the following week, you're going to know exactly where everything is, but they'll just have shifted a bit and then you can, yeah. you know, kind of watch it as it moves. Yeah. That, that's a really good recommendation. Maybe I should just say like, for those listening, if, if people don't know what a planisphere is, it's, it kind of, uh, it's like two, uh, circles of paper. Um, one on top of the other, and then and then typically um, one of the circles has has a cutout um, that reveals the portion of the sky um, below it that, that that is this the sky according to the hours in which you set it. So on the outside, there's uh, days and hours, uh, and so there's a day and an hour, um, pretty much for any nighttime uh, setting of the year, from typically like 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. or something like that. And so you can dial it in for like January 1st at 6 p.m. or, or February 8th at, uh, you know, at 2 a.m. And, and so on and so forth. So you can actually uh, dial it like it sort of moves one layer on top of the other. And then there's like a window that will reveal uh, the sky. And just through, through the magic of, of the way it reveals the sky kind of helps reveal that orientation uh, of, of the stars and constellations, like Shane was saying, you know, uh, a few weeks ago, Boots was in, uh, in the east and sort of on its side. Now it's up overhead. And then in a few more weeks, it'll, it'll be down towards the west on its other side. And uh, by using a planisphere, it will, it will kind of uh, sort of magically and in, in sort of a, an analog sense, uh, reveal the constellations uh, more or less as they appear in the night sky. So yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely take that uh, take that back to them. Yeah, it, it's a handy resource, and and the nice thing about the planisphere, like you and I have said many times, 
is it's not a screen. And I know there's all sorts of things you can do to uh, your phone or whatever you're using to uh, dim it down. Um, but I still just prefer using, you know, paper or, or non illuminated things whenever I can. And I feel like, I feel like I can control the brightness a little bit better that way in terms of my red flashlight and, uh, they work well, the planospheres. Yeah. And I mean, sort of in, in full disclosure, you and I both, uh, both work in technology. Uh, so, so, uh, we're, we're people that are, um, rather familiar with the intricacies of, of using different softwares and, and hardwares and, and this sort of thing and, uh, and, and have different experiences there. Um, but our experiences with, with using devices and screens under the night sky has, has uh, universally been one that, uh, that we try to steer people away from. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, part of it too, really is that in a cold climate, it's a pain to sometimes use digital devices, you know, either you have gloves on or like, um, you know, my iPhone will freeze, you know, in, in minus 20 degree temperatures and shut down. Like it just yeah. stops working. And, uh, you know, when you rely on that stuff as your only source, it can limit you sometimes. Whereas, you know, the, the good old fashioned paper just keeps on ticking. Yeah. And I, I'll say like, I remember, um, you know, and, and I do like using astronomy uh, software quite a bit and I'll, I'll make my own charts and everything and like to make observing lists and blah, 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 all this stuff anyway. And when I first, uh, got one of the newer computers about, like I said, about 10 years ago, I'm looking at it to my corner. doesn't work anymore. <laughs> maybe, maybe cause I did this to it. Um, but when I first got one of the newer computers that had like properly dim- dimmable LCD screen, like really high res, um, paid a little bit extra for it. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, this is going to be, this is going to be a great uh, computer to try in the field. It was small and lightweight and had, you know, the, the ability to, to create like a full dim down red screen. I tried it inside. It seemed like, Ooh, that is really faint. And I thought this is going to be great. So I get out in the field with it. And I get I had Sky Tools loaded on it, which is a great, uh, really advanced uh, planetarium software. If you're looking for something simple, go with Sky Safari, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, I I get out there and I got my Sky Tools running on it, and it has really great uh, dimming uh, features for for red. And I I'm dimming it down, I'm dimming it down, and then I'm dimming down the screen brightness, and I get it just about to the point where I'm like, all right, this this is almost dim enough, and I hit it one more, and the screen just blacks out, right? And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, so then I, then I take it up that next, I'm like, okay, well, it's a, it's a little bright. And I, and I actually did this purposely on a night when nobody else was observing with me and I went somewhere where nobody else is going to be around. So that I'm not annoying like you and Mike with, with this, the screen that I'm messing around with. And so I thought, okay, well, well, I'll try it here. And then maybe I can put like a piece of cellophane over it the next time. So I start trying to use it. And I quickly realized that you know, and I kind of alluded to this already, the, the eye just does not work the same at night as it does in the daytime. It doesn't work the same at all. And it's, and so the screen is still, like I said, it's still at least one level too bright, at least a level too bright. And so it's too bright. So it's impacting my night vision yet at the same time, enough of my uh, daytime vision is gone that I can't see it at a reasonable distance. So I've got like my eye, like pressed up against the screen trying to see whatever it is I was trying to look at that and I was trying to look at some planetary nebulas up in uh, uh, or maybe an open cluster up in Lyra and I was like this is really annoying <laughs> like 
like it's it's still too bright, but I but I can't even use it the way I had envisioned, right? Like I'm sitting here at my computer here now chatting with you, and I, I was thinking it would be a similar experience to that, but uh, it's not. I, I I can't even see it from you know two or three feet away. I, I got to put my eye right up against it. It's too bright from two or three feet away. It's definitely too bright from two or three inches away. And then, like, how inconvenient is this, right? This, this is not a good experience. So, so that's what happens. And then when people take out like a cell phone or something else, it's the same thing. So you have to turn the screen brightness up so much that your daytime vision is firing enough so that you can actually use the device. Um, and, and, and so that's going to impact how you see the stars. And, and that's another thing that people, um, uh, will struggle with when they go out because they have they have that bright screen and then they're looking away from it and then they're trying to see the stars. Well, they've just introduced a whole different level of complexity. A and B, the one thing I, I notice still is that, and I'm sure this will get better, but it's not going to solve all the problems. Is that the uh, the devices need to be um, well calibrated and set up to actually be showing you the the correct orientation and the correct sky uh, as it appears at the present time. And, and often these end up getting off for hours for whatever reason. I don't know, but um, I can't tell you the number of times I, I've been doing public observing and someone says, oh, I got an app on my phone that will tell me what that star is. And then you look and they've got it set to the Southern Hemisphere. So <laughs> like something really like way off, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of nuances there that you have to consider, I suppose. So I sent you an article. Did you read the article I sent you or did you just skim it? Uh, did you send me this? Oh, um, yeah, no, I read it. I read that. Um, this is your, is it the journal article? Yeah. Yeah. How to plan uh, your own observing program. Yeah, no, I, I liked it. Um, okay. Some of it is uh, what we've talked about in the podcast. And, yeah. you know, I think it's, you know, it's how I've actually adapted kind of my observing, particularly with marking up the Atlas. You know, I just, I've said it a few times now, and I think that's a game changer too, in terms of how I observe. Uh, I didn't realize, you know, how frustrating it was in the field sometimes to find, like, it's enough to try to find the object in the sky with your telescope. But I was spending as much time trying to find the object sometimes in the Atlas, you know, so I even knew where to look in the sky. And, And this method is just so much better. Yeah, so so one thing we were, we were chatting about this before we started podcasting today is that um, you know sometimes we we're doing whether it's your presentation on on Friday night or or me writing an article or something, but you know sometimes when we're sometimes when we're doing this this other these other activities, um, we're just putting it out to like a limited audience, you know, or, or it's like a one time thing, like um, your presentation on on Friday night. Um, but we, you know, you'll be able to take that hopefully and, and kind of, maybe we can rework that or you can rework it into something we can do a podcast on. Um, and then, you know, we can reach a wider, uh, listenership or, or a wider, uh, audience. And then the same thing, we, we talked about some of those things. These were just kind of notes from, from just one of these, um, we call this episode one kind of for the week where we just have a conversation and, uh, I remember that week I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. Oh, this is what I was doing. I guess uh, kind of throw in a few screenshots and, uh, you know, uh, or write a few lines about it and chat with Shane about it for five minutes. And then that will kind of maybe fill a bit of my time, but then kind of as, as you and I chatted about it that day. And then, and then I think later on in the week, you kind of 
sort of experimenting on your own with it and sent me some some of your screenshots and some of your feedback and kind of how how you were doing. I was like, well, this makes a <laughs> this makes a, a a decent thing to actually uh, actually uh, put together for for a journal article for uh, for our ASC readers. And the journal is is free to anybody if you go to rasc.ca publications. If it's working, if the website's working right now, we've had some technical trouble over there, but uh, but the most recent uh, most recent journal will. Uh, We'll have that in there. Yeah. I th- and I, I should say we'll have it in there because I think it comes out in two or three weeks or something like that. So anyway, that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good read for everybody. I think um, it's uh, it's a good article. It's very applicable. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And it's, it's easier. Sometimes it's easier to write those things um, now that we're doing uh, the podcast, just because it kind of, gives me the idea and then kind of has some, have some time to kind of flush it out a bit. I also began working on my feature constellation for the 2022 RASC observers handbook. So that's, uh, that's exciting. So Randall and I, Randall uh, Rosenfeld is, uh, is, is a long time suffering friend of mine. Randall is uh, so, so he is, pre- oh, my, here I am. I'm, I actually hit my microphone as I was trying to say the word precision. Uh, <laughs> here he is. Randall is, is just quintessentially precise. So I'm trying to convince him to come on, come on the podcast. I, I, I think maybe he, he's going to come on. We're just working some of the details out now, but he's somebody that really wants to stick to a script. And, and so doing a podcast is, uh, is, is not something that is, that is his, uh, his cup of tea as much to talk informally about. Um, and he's, cause he is a very meticulous um, historical analyzer of, of astronomy and, and the history of astronomy just on this ridiculous level. Like it, like it's amazing. It really is. He's an amazing person. And he writes these great articles for the journal and, and I've become friends with them over the years. Very, very fortunate. He's come and stayed at my home and we worked on tons of projects together um, I, I don't have that same level of precision. I'm an analy- analytical person, but, but not on the same level as Randall. Um, but what people don't realize is he's also a really uh, good amateur astronomer, like really solid visual observer. And, and he gets into these really interesting um, personal projects, which, which never really see the light of day. He, because they're, they're not like that, that level of precision. It's like a, like a personal interest. And I kind of want him to come on and, and uh, same with Clark, who's our history chair. And, and I've observed with Clark a lot over the years because uh, he and I lived in the same place for a long time. And, uh, and I really want them to come on and, and talk about some of these projects because they, they scarcely do. If, if they're talking about them, they only just refer to them um, as an aside, as, as part of maybe like a fact, like a bit of a fact checking thing. Um, but in, in reality, um, you know, like Clark built, like, built some Galileo telescopes and what he was trying to do is actually hundred percent replicate, uh, the type of view that Galileo would have had through his instruments. Um, and I, I feel like he did accomplish this. I, I, I was fortunate to, to bore it from, for an extended period of time. And, uh, you know, it was just an amazing thing to view through and, uh, and, and just incredible. And, but he spent so many nights in that doing this, but then, you know, his published articles were simply just sort of referring to, to the equipment a little bit and the observations that he made with, with an analysis of, of the Galileo 
observations that, that he was replicating. But, but at the same time, just, just the sheer uh, effort that went in and the actual observing under the stars that went in to do this um, was, was really the, the bulk of, of the work. Anyway, so, so I think they're going to come on sometime in the next month. If we're just going to maybe work out a date, Shane, that sounds yeah, good with you. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be awesome. I think that would be a fun talk. Yeah. And then, uh, and I haven't reached out to her yet, but uh, Bill, we are tapped. Um, one, one of our long time, uh, we're, we're on a listserv together, a very small listserv for a committee on observing in Canada. And, uh, he tapped, um, a person from, from my neck of the woods originally back in Nova Scotia. And, uh, anyway, I have to reach out to her cause she, uh, she started observing when I was the observing chair here in Canada. And, uh, anyway, um, she did a lot of, uh, observing. She's observed, I think all of the uh, RESC certificate objects, except for maybe like three or four or something like that. Oh, wow. And she's just done some, I, and I do have to reach out to her um, and set this up right. I, 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 I'm almost hoping she can knock off the last remaining objects and then maybe we'll have her on when she finishes. Cause I think Bill said she's down to the last three or four, but, but uh, I mean, she's an amazing observer. Anyway, not going to, not going to give it away. Got to reach out to her, but um, she's right up there with, with Bill Weir and, and observing. So uh, I think she'll be uh, interesting. She doesn't have as big equipment, but she's like made arrangements and gone and observed at people's uh, large telescope observatories to knock off some of the big things. And, and just like the experiences of doing that. And like, you know, I remember I was chatting to her about one of those and she like got to the person's house and the observatory, I think is on top of their house. And she went to go to make the observations. And I think like her chart was wrong or something like that. Oh no. <laughs> you know, like, like big struggles like that, because, you know, you go and you travel and you go to somebody's place and then, oh, you mess something up. And anyway, I'm kind of hoping that we can get her on and, and talk about uh, those experiences should be, uh, should be good. So what else? I got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I see this, this big list here. <laughs> goes on and on and on. I'm getting my Burla back tripod refined, bought some more blue. Have you bought any of the more blue stuff yet? I'm curious to see what this stuff's like. Well, I, I'm just looking at it now. Like I remember like you, you sent me a, a text asking if I wanted more blue. Oh, this is the, uh, the lightweight dovetail bars that are, yeah, they kind of grind out or, or they, it, not as much metal involved to try to reduce the weight. Um, I've yeah. never tried one. Yeah. They look interesting. Yeah, so I, I wanted to get uh, a couple more dovetails anyway. I have a seven inch. I think it's a seven inch. Uh, it's and it's confusing as heck because so there's there's Lasmundi style formatted plates. Lasmundi mm-hmm. also makes Vixen plates, which they <laughs> yeah. Vixen mounts. So so sometimes I say, oh, I have I have a Lasmundi Vixen plate, and people are like, what are you talking about? How can it be a Lasmundi plate? That's a Vixen plate. You mean it's like a dual plate? I'm like, no, no, it's a Vixen plate that's made by Losmundy. They're like, Losmundy makes plates? <laughs> you know, like, because another company might make a Losmundy plate. It's just, just like another company might make a Vixen plate. So anyway, it's confusing. It's, it's terrible tech. naming. Yeah, both both names are confusing because they're both named after a company. You know, the Vixen yeah. style dovetail and the Losmundy style are not, like they should be called something else entirely yeah, different. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. It, it is, it is. And then there's, a, there's uh, Arca Swiss yep. and, and I didn't, I didn't know, but the Arca Swiss is a little bit different. I actually have um, a plate that's Arca Swiss 
that came with one of my uh, universal astronomics um, mounts. And mm-hmm. I thought it was a Vixen plate. And then I went to use it when I got a Vixen mount. It didn't fit. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know, look at all these, all these different, uh, different types of plates. Anyway, so I need a Vixen plates. Uh, I have these Lasmini ones, but they're, they're like solid. I think it's steel or something. I don't know. It's heavy. Weighs like it's a seven-inch plate. It weighs like, I don't know, 18 ounces or something like that. It's heavy as heck. And I'm trying to get my uh, 100 millimeter as, as light as possible. So by going to one of these, uh, more blue, it's a, this is the brand name it comes out of, I think Japan or somewhere, um, end up shaving about seven or eight ounces off minimum. Quite so a bit. Kind of, cause that's like a can of pop, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of excited about that because I feel like I'll notice that when I heft the bag. And so why am I doing that? Why would that matter? Um, so when I got the hundred millimeter, the Takahashi, um, hundred DC, so it's, uh, it's a hundred millimeter F 7.4 telescope. And it's one of not, not only, I, I think anyway, one of the best quality, um, hundred millimeters you can get. It's also among the lightest, if not, I think it's about the lightest hundred millimeter telescope of the refractor type, uh, that, that you can buy. And then, uh, the focuser is a little heavy. So I pulled the focuser off and I put a feather touch lightweight focuser on further reduce the weight. So I think it got down to around, I don't know, it's like 5.6 pounds or maybe 6.5 pounds or something like that. Uh, and then I bought some lightweight rings from, um, Oh, what's the name of the company? Those red ones that you love. Oh, uh, Prima, Prima Lucha or something yeah, like Prima, that. Prima Luca labs, Prima, yeah, that's Prima Luca labs. <laughs> and there you go. And so, uh, so when I, when I put them on, I'm like, great, this is going to be good. But the the way that I had always observed with refractors before is I kept my rings and dovetail separate for whatever reason. And then, um, I had intended to do that with this, but for, for reasons I can't quite describe, it doesn't seem to work as well for this setup. It's the only really downside to this setup. So that extra eight or nine ounces in that dovetail plate. Um, I feel that when it's attached to the scope here, I went and got this, this lightweight scope and now I've, I've added this extra weight onto it. So, uh, so I'm, I'm hoping to kind of just shave that off just a little bit, just a little bit. So looking forward to that. And then I needed another extension pier for my, uh, AZ GTI mount. So it comes with one and, and it's, and it's good, and it, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think it, I think it's fine. Um, but it's got these little, little thumb screws. Um, so the, the extension that comes with the AZ GTI, when you buy it, uh, it has like a base plate that you screw onto your tripod and it's regular tripod, whatever, 316 threaded. I don't know any of that stuff, but it's just a regular tripod, um, screw hole it that's in the bottom of the of the extension and what this does is it, it raises the the mount off of your tripod so that when you're using longer refractors um, you're not constantly running into your tripod legs and it works well but it's got these little threaded uh, screws uh, at the top and it has like this detachable plate you attach the plate to your mount or whatever else you can put any kind of mount on this and, uh, and then you have to like drop that in and then kind of screw these, these, these thumb screws in just with your fingers. And I'm thinking, man, we get down to grasslands. I'm losing those thumb screws. 
<laughs> like, yeah, yeah, for and sure. Then, and then you're not observing if that's your only mount. Yeah, yeah, or duct taping it together. Anyway, yeah, yeah, that's not going to work. That's you know, I, I I started looking at it last fall and like thinking about it. So I thought what I would do. My original plan was just to buy another one, and then I'd have two sets of thumb screws, and just keep them handy. And so I was rolling. I thought, okay, I'll order one. And then I found out that the back order it would land here maybe by fall. It's it's so far back ordered. So I ordered a, a carbon fiber one from from More Blue, and these are not expensive parts. Seventy nine dollars. So you know, it was the difference between thirty dollars and eighty dollars. I think Canadian or something like that. So it wasn't wasn't like a like a bank bust or anything like that. So um, and the more blue one, you just screw it on to the top of the uh, to the top of the plate like you would with the. Uh, uh, like like you would just with a regular tripod, so I, I think that that's going to work out a little bit better. And it's about a centimeter taller, so it gives me just just a little bit more swing through. So, getting pretty close to having that that ultimate uh, portable four inch setup. Hmm. Very cool. Looking forward yeah. to hear the review of those dovetails. They're back ordered. They're saying two weeks. Okay. But uh, I think they're coming because they did they did charge me already. Um, but it was only, I think for everything and shipping, it, it, I think it came to like a couple hundred bucks or something like that. So it's not like a, like a big, big expense. So, so anyway, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see how, we'll see how that goes. So I was reading some of Stephen O'Meara's books, just trying to figure out like what powers I need to haul with me. Cause I, think I pretty much have most powers, uh, taken care of with all my different eyepieces, but, uh, I, I was looking at, uh, at at some of his books, and uh, so Stephen Stephen James Amir he wrote this. What was the series called? Deep Sky Companions? Is that what it was called? Anyway, yeah, I don't remember what the series was called, but there's four of them: Hidden Treasures, and I, I can't even think of them. There's all right there's now, the mess. It went the Messier, the Caldwell Objects, which I think I gave away, so I might rebuy it. I'm not a big fan of the Caldwell Objects anyway, but that's another story for another day. There's hidden treasures. Um, there's the secret deep, and then the southern. I think he did one on the southern sky. Yeah, southern gems or something like southern that. southern gems. Yeah. So he's got. I think he's, so. He's got five. So I've got. Um, I've got two or three of them here. I, no. I, yeah, I've got three. I have the secret deep, but I don't know where that one is. Um, so I was looking at like what powers he was using for at least the uh, the messy and the uh, and the deep sky gems and. Uh, really seems to focus on having about like 23 power in his, in his four inch and um, 70 odd power. And then like a hundred power. Those are his, those are his most used ones. So uh, anyway, I was just kind of looking at those and, and I uh, just wonder what, like what your, what are your thoughts on, on a power spread? So do you, you have a four inch Genesis, don't you? That was the telescope he was using. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have the, the Teleview Genesis SDF. It weighs at least twice as much as yours. It's uh, fairly yeah, it's a fairly heavy four inch, uh, but it's a, it's a great telescope. Um, you know, I, I was actually, this question came up on Friday night when I was presenting about, um, uh, it was phrased about target magnification and, um, you know, my, my approach really is, is to have just a wider range of options mm. in front of me. Um, so you can match you know, the, the focal length of your eyepiece to whatever, like, cause there's so many variables here, right? There's you know, the atmosphere is your biggest limiting factor, but then it mm. depends what you're looking at too, as to how much yeah. magnification you want and then how much wide field do you want? Uh, but typically what I'll do when we go dark sky observing is, 
Um, I, I leave the uh, 31 millimeter Nagler in the uh, uh, diagonal for most of the night. And I'm just yeah. going to calculate that real quick. 540 divided by 31. So that gives me 17 times magnification. Yeah. And uh, I, I like that quite a bit. Um, and then if there's something that I think could use more magnification, um, then I usually put my Leica zoom in there, which has the focal ratio or the focal zoom length of like nine millimeters up to, I don't know, 17 or 18. Um, yeah. and then that kind of covers off the majority of the magnifications I would want to use in any given night. Um, yeah. if I want more power, either throw a Barlow in or, you know, like the, the set of eyepieces that I take when we go deep sky observing, it's typically the 31 millimeter Nagler, the Leica zoom and the, uh, uh five millimeter Nikon. And then that kind of covers me off and, and, you know, I can hit a lot of different, uh, magnifications. The five millimeter just gives me slightly over 100 times. Uh, the, the Leica, an awful lot of, uh, you know, variance in between. And then, like I say, the, uh, the low power Nagler. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I think that's a nice, nice spread to have. Do you ever try out that, uh, that Spears Weller five to eight zoom that, uh, that I lent you and you, I think you fixed up for me. I haven't used it yet. Um, I really it. haven't been doing much hate, like, you know, the, I haven't really needed high magnification in the backyard. Uh, just been looking at some pretty easy doubles lately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'll definitely give it a try here. Um, you know, maybe on Venus or maybe just some, you know, more challenging double star splits. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd just be curious what, what you think of it. I think Venus, I think it does have some secondary color in that eyepiece. So just mm. be aware of that. Yeah. Fair enough. Cool. All right. Anything else to add for this episode chain? No, other than uh, I'll just mention real quick, uh, our last two episodes, my audio quality diminished and uh, towards the end, I was a little crackly. Um, we are aware of it. I think it was the app that I use. I was using the Zoom app. It needed an update. Um, I think things are a lot better this week and uh, I just wanted to, you know, uh, I guess just apologize. Uh, we, you know, Chris and I talked about it and, and we decided that it's better to put it out there with kind of poor quality than, than nothing at all. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, hopefully the audio quality is better going forward. Yeah. We're amateur podcasters too. We just do this for fun. So, you know, we're not, not that, that, that concerned about it, but we do try to strive to make things better. It was frustrating though, because, um, we had had some sound challenges, uh, especially with my sound and you'd been able to kind of harmonize that out. We put out one or two episodes and then we had another sound challenge that was completely different. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Shane, for persevering and, and working through all of our sound issues on, on all <laughs> sides. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.